have never shied away from anything that's happened in my life. I grew up with a mom that was mac depressive, bipolar in Detroit. Um, I have seen my share of struggles, but for me, I had to make, I had to process the pain and I had to make sense of the pain. And the only way I'm going to make sense of the pain is like to tell somebody my story so they don't feel alone. Welcome to Real Stories, Journeys of Financial Wellness. I'm your host, Crystal Gazima. Today, in our first episode of 2023, we meet Stephanie. I was immediately struck by Stephanie's mindset in the face of adversity. She joined us virtually at a restaurant. The reason for this location will become apparent as our story unfolds. She has navigated payday loans, credit card debt, student loans, a foreclosure, and an eviction. She's been very skillful as she puts out each fire, as she calls it but she's also focused on a future state where she can better absorb a financial shock. Let's dive into Stephanie's story. Stephanie, I'm so glad you could join us here today. And before we start getting into your current situation, one of the things I always like to start with is to learn more about growing up with money. And so what did you learn about money growing up that you remember? I knew how to spend money. I didn't understand how to save, nor did I understand about how to budget money. My mother was a single parent with three kids. So it was always a dicey game of what was going to get paid, the balance of paying bills, supporting the family, and providing the needs and wants of three children. Yeah, so it was a lot of just, you know, just trying to get by, essentially. Right. And did that, that kind of inform how, how you kind of viewed things as you got older? Yes. So I understand some years back that you had a mortgage from a condo that eventually went into foreclosure. Um, what do you remember about that experience? What what might you have learned from it? As an early age, I learned how to, I was a waitress. So I was good at knowing how to make money and to constantly have money coming in. So when I got my condo, I had a state job and a waitress job, but I didn't know how to manage it. So when I lost my condo, it was a rude awakening that I could have my condo paid off actually in five years if I just learned how to manage it. And and you, you started to speak to this, like what, what have been some of your strategies for bringing in extra income to, to make your budget work? I have always had multiple incomes. I just have a, I have learned, I have not learned the art of managing and growing them. So I was a waitress. I did gig jobs. I had full-time jobs and additional jobs. So it was as soon as I made it, as soon as I spent it. So it was, you know, you just kind of learned to just be creative and and bringing an income where you could. And I understand that you kind of have had to step up that creativity during the pandemic where a lot of the restaurants weren't really open uh, nearly as much. So what kind of uh, ideas did you uh, uh, 
used during the pandemic to bring in extra income? I door dashed because I have, I'm a, I like to look at the trends. What trend is popular at the moment? And when everything shut down, one of the things people still needed was food, your basic essentials. And people weren't going out. So I was able to provide food services through door dashing. Yeah. And what was that experience like for you? It was a sense of just like waiting tables to rush, but there was no accountability for money because when you have a, a steady paycheck, you know, at the end of two weeks, what you're going to make. But with DoorDash, it was consistent money. It was like, okay, I don't have to really budget because I can go out in the next, you know, five hours and make $150. That first year, and I wasn't really DoorDashing a lot because of the pandemic. I mean, I was doing part time, but I really wasn't going heavy with it. I made 32000 and that was just like part time. And just knowing that, like, you could just, if you were willing and able to work those extra hours, that the money would, would, would follow. Correct. Like, in June, I made about 5000 Those back to those basic principles that we talked about with my mother, how, you know, you have to make it work, but there's no system. So you get this habit, like, I got to make it work, but I don't have a system in place where I can actually track the longevity of my progress. Yeah, yeah. You're always putting out buyers. You just—that's only thing you remember as a child is putting out buyers. So I'm always in there. I need to put out a buyer. Yeah, and it, it just so knowing that you could always bring in extra money to help to put out the fire. Um, but as you said, you know, when when there is a fire to put out, that it it does kind of stretch your resources a little bit and. There's been a lot going on in the world. So one of the things that's been happening of late is inflation has been skyrocketing the last year plus. Um, what might you have done the last uh, you know, few months to adjust your spending or what has that been like? I had to, it's not related to adjust my spending because there was like hiccup after hiccup. So what did we did not speak about is I bought a brand new car right before the pandemic. Well, my car went down three times during the pandemic. Like, this random stuff. And so I fell behind on my car note. And because um, I, I just started door dashing. So I didn't really know the flow of it. And it was the pandemic. Anyway, make a long story short. T- for two years, I had to rent a car from um, Enterprise. I was paying upwards of $2,800 a month. Mm-hmm. And that and that, that, that's actually, it's, it's interesting. Because earlier you said you were able to bring in a lot of money from DoorDash. But at the same time, spending a lot of money just to have the very thing bring in the money from DoorDash. Right, because there was nothing. There was no jobs. I mean, service industry was up and down. It's still unstable because it's unstable because the problem is people don't have disposable money. You know, I I live off of, you know, I have to put out fires. So I had disposable money, but I was like spending on the vehicles and the output of me just having that resource to do it so yeah i made five thousand but after i spent just the basics i didn't have enough to even pay my rent yeah and that was something um we had talked uh before we started our call is that 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 kind of led to some recent difficulty with you so i was wondering if you could speak to um navigating rent and, and what eventually happened so what happened was i felt behind in my rent and I wasn't able to get additional resources. 
So I ended up losing my apartment and going to a woman's shelter. So it wasn't like I was overspending my expenses, just my basic expenses were so high that I had a difficulty recovering. And I'm yeah. using that can recover. You know, I, I you know, as we talked about, I always am in fire mode, recovery mode, and I just wasn't able to recover. Yeah, what is what is like your your current plan uh, as far as like how you see things playing out uh, as you transition from the women's shelter? I have to look at. I don't have. I would have been applying for state jobs because I did work in the state for a steady job, but that's not happening. But the fact that my I'm in a position now where I'm like really very low income, weighing tables, I'm able to get. But um, food, sorry, not food, but government assistance, as far as um, subsidized housing. That it, you know, and it's not just me; it's a lot of people that now are considered underemployed. And when that triggers, and me being a women's shelter, I can use that voucher to say, "Hey, I'm underemployed. I'm in a women's shelter." So that deems me as a priority to get housing. Yeah. And then the program that you're in then helps you to apply for for housing at that point to then right. move transition. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's been a common thing. It's it's not always talked about openly. And that's why I, I appreciate so much um, you sharing your story here so that hopefully you can show others if they're experiencing something similar, that they're not the only one going through that situation. And what I love to also hear is just the optimism that you had is like, all right, here's where I am right now, but you're not, you know, you're, it's just a moment in time that you're working through. And just like you recovered from the foreclosure last time, this is something that you're working towards um, changing. Um, and I also understand that in the, in the background, you also have student loans, um, which we'll talk about the strategy for that in a second. But I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about um, how the student loans came about and and kind of where they're at right now. Okay, so originally when I lost my condo, I had I had to work for the governor, Jennifer Granholm. And when the parties switched to the Republican, people don't want to touch you. You know, because they have their own impression about you or if they don't like the governor or the previous governor. It was very hard. So I didn't I couldn't find a job for a long time. And I ended up in a woman's shelter and I had two options. I know it sounds crazy. The one option was go on a mission trip. Somebody asked with your resume, you don't have a degree, but you don't have a family. So I always had to look at the good and bad. I didn't have a family. I didn't have any kids. It was a Christian shelter said, won't you go on a mission trip? I just missed it by three weeks. So I said, if I'm not going to go there, I'm going to go to school. So I, um, I got in school. Because I have the experience, but I don't have a degree. And because I was so, at that time, so low income, I got a lot of grants and just trying to survive and recover from that. And I just started going back to school and I was like, okay, I need to do something. I need to always keep moving. I incurred a lot of the debt because I was just waiting tables and then I have money to go back to school. Like what? What are what are some of the decisions that you face? Because I understand that you you completed a number of years, but there's the possibility of returning to school to complete your degree, but also thinking about tackling your student loans. So, like, what kind of decisions do you face with that right now? Um, I'm 
I'm not that far away. But I don't have a associate's degree. I have a lot of credits, but I don't have a associate's degree. So a part of it for me to offset that is the governor introduced a bill. If you don't have an associate's degree, you go to community college and you can get an associate's degree. So they'll eat up a, a big portion of the credits I need. Um, a couple other things. If I don't get in with the state, Davenport has a program with different proprietors where they'll discount some of your uh, tuition at 30%. Hmm. Or you could do the three-in-one program where you could take so many credits. And then, I mean, we're playing with a lot of different issues here. Then they also have a three-in-one program that you can participate in with a community college where you do so many credits at Devonport and the rest at LCC. So I really have to figure out what is the most feasible, economical, fastest way to finish this degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to make the most of the money that's already owed, but also to improve your income potential uh, going forward. And it's not, I mean, just because you have a degree doesn't mean you improve your earning potential. Because I know people who have degrees and still don't make any money. But what it does is it opens up the door for other possibilities without a degree. I am limited. Right. Doesn't guarantee anything, but at least it allows other possibilities potentially. Right. Yeah. Because there's yeah. some jobs like you have to have a degree. You know, you could start up having a job, make it 32 with a degree. But with my experience and a degree, it just opens up. I just need more opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And one of those opportunities when it comes to student loans is I understand that you had applied for student loan forgiveness, uh, a program that in your case would have uh, potentially eliminate $20,000 of your loans, which I understand are right now sitting at about 60000 uh, give or 60, take. Yeah, give or take. Yep. Um, now, as we sit here as of this recording, so we're, we're here in uh, mid-November of uh, 2022, that program is currently on hold because of some legal battles. Um, so that's, it's still up in the air, but I want to kind of ask you a two-part question. So mm-hmm. let's assume the forgiveness goes through what would be the potential impact of your finances if that does happen? Um, it reduces, it's not so much my finances, but it gives me a little more leeway to take more classes at school. Because you know, like the, the loans would be less and then there's a little bit more wiggle room in your budget long term. That is the most, because financially I have learned, again, I have learned to be a fire. You know, I put on a lot of fires. So I know how to make the money, like resources, I've had to wait tables, I've had to find gig work. That was never my issue, is finishing the degree was my issue. Do you know what I'm saying? Everybody has their own, I've always found a way to make money. Legally, you know, legally, whether it's gig work or doing something to supplement my income. When I worked in the office, I worked as a waitress. But I need to complete it. So I have to say, you know, if my balance is 60000 I don't want to go any further than that. So if they're going to reduce it down to forty, can I use, like, community college where I can pay out of pocket to complete the rest and just keep it at forty? Mm. It Would that change? So let's say if the forgiveness does not go through, what sort of decisions are you faced with if that happens? I don't think financially, because I don't have that much. Because with Green Pass, just for me, for Green Pass has really helped me get on a more structure. 
because I only had $1,500 in credit card debt. And so I wasn't that like, I didn't have a lot of outstanding, ridiculous debt where compounding with student loans is going to put me under. I got you. I got you. So like ultimately it means you'd have to pay back that much more. But as far as like the month to month, it would be a similar sort of outlook. It'd be like $600, but I'm not paying $600 car. No, you know, and then you have to also think of if I get subsidized housing, that really lowers what I pay. So I have to maximize my opportunity I have now. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. There's a lot of moving parts, like with how things play out with your housing at the same time. As I know, I'm a little like, wow, but if I was talking to a, a leasing agent and she said, you know, with your income now, your rent could be like two, $280, 300 compared to before this was $1,000. So it still stays within that budget if I just could say consistent what I'm doing now. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Huge. It'd be a huge impact if it goes through. Yeah. So I'm sure there's some people that are wondering like, wow, like you're you're going through what you're going through right now. But if you come out the other side with a more affordable rent, that, that could hopefully be something that's a lot more sustainable going forward. Yes. And then I could go to school. I still can work. And you know, if I needed to pick up on like a side, like DoorDash for extra like a couple of dollars, so it won't affect my rent that much. It puts me in a great place, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully it's like then then it's extra money to get ahead versus just putting out the fires, as you alluded to. Right. Yes. Um, you, you had mentioned earlier about um, you, you've been using Green Path services to pay down your credit cards. Mm-hmm. Um, what initially caused you to reach out to Green Path? And, and also, how did you find out about Green Path? Um, I was going to re um, re um. I had a couple, not that big, but I was going to redo my um, car loan. It was pretty high, my interest rate. And I went there and I said, no, it's not that I had a lot of debt, but I was never consistent in paying my bills. Because when you're putting out fires, you just like, okay, I put out this fire and then you let it simmer and then you wait till it gets big again. You know, you're just used to big issues instead of being consistent. So I realized my problem is I'm not consistent. That I wait till something gets so big before I could deal with it. Because I'm just, that's how I'm used to operating. Whether if I just pay it off little by little, I'm okay and I'll be at a better. So, you know, they said, well, you want to buy a house again? I'm like, yes, because I don't like renting. But I said, you know, this is an opportunity for me to get myself together. So while I'm looking and growing, by the time that job comes with the state or whatever job, I'll be in a position to buy a house. And I think people have this perception that you have to be a green path. You have to have like $20,000. I had $2,500 in credit card debt. But what it did was it kept me a routine of keeping consistent and helped my credit score go up. And it helped me to think, to like prioritize. I don't have to always put out these big, huge fires. Mm. And and how have yeah, you I found just, out about Green Path originally? Um, the credit union. One of the ladies said, why don't you try Green Path? I'm like, okay, are they a little shady? I have my suspicions. And she said, no. And I talked to them and it was so welcoming and abiding. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Ex- can you tell me more about that experience with your first conversation with us? Yeah, my first conversation, I think I talked to Dan. He was the most 
everything I am not. Um, he was like, oh, I, you know, he, I don't want to say typical, but just a, a banker type, like white guy, pay my bills on time, don't have any, like, everything I don't do, you know, never have an overdraft fee, because of the last time when I lost my state job, I had to become more proactive and becoming wise with money. So when I spoke to him, I said, I'm not wise with money. I put out fires. I know how to make the money. I don't care how bad, how high my, you know, my accounts get. I knew always how to recover. I said, but I'm tired. I'm getting older and I'm not growing because I'm spending more money on fees and high interest rates. And he just walked me through and it's like, you know, he gave me a path of this is what you need to do and this is what it looks like. So it just seemed like uh, a straightforward path for you to be able to, but you know, put a structure and, and pay down your your credit cards. Yes. Yeah. W- was there anything that surprised you as you went on a payment plan, a debt management program, um, versus what you were expecting? Or I was expecting to be judged. I was expecting, oh, you can't do this, or why? You know, just a lot of questions and it's like. They were just super nice. And even when I didn't always, because we spoke about, I had to do a rental car. Sometimes I didn't have the money. I was like, they were always willing to find, like, if you could pay $10. That's one thing, Green Path, they will work with you. You know, when I didn't have the money or situations happen, they will work with you. And that flexibility was important because, as you described, there's a lot of, fluidity in your situation income changes all the time expenses unexpected right yes and can i tell you one of the things green pad has caused me to it is taken away okay you know how some people are sugar addicts we all have our own addictions but say if you're a credit card addict when you get a green path the one thing it does is takes away that addiction to spend money because I now that my credit score has risen, it seems like every other day I'm getting like some type of credit card, you know, invite. Oh, you're proof of twenty five. I I throw them away. Yeah. And you know, my situation is not ideal for anybody, but when you're in the transition, you got to carry as little baggage with you as you, when you transition. Like when you move. Say if you're moving, you can't take everything with you. You got to throw some things away. And so Green Path has allowed me to transition with limited debt as possible. Yeah. And that's why, you know what I'm saying? Because with everything I got going on, I can't have amounts of debt. I can explain one situation, but you can't explain 12. It seems like it's kind of like simplified things a little bit, both for your repayment of debt, but also just your day-to-day budget. Yes. Yeah. And when you have a day-to-day budget, you could kind of structure like, hey, I can't. Because in my case, my income went down. So when it went down, I might not can afford the way I did Green Path a couple months ago. But then we can readjust it. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, having that flexibility, and I and I also understand that um, some time ago you had some payday loans. Um, so I was curious, like, how did those pop up, and how did you eventually address them? They popped up because it was easy. It was easy. It was convenient. I had 
I need the money. I need quite. And I would have had the money if I was more responsible. But I was just pressing money. I was like, where can I get fast cash? And I went there. And they'll give you money on spot. And the thing about it with them, and they'll give you money, but they're going to charge you, what, 26% interest? It's something ridiculous. And you become in a cycle because you give them, you know, whatever the amount they have plus the interest, but it leaves you short without having additional income coming in. And so once, and mine's is 400, but once we got to the point, like, we severed that, you know, demon's head. And they said, you don't need it. When I got out of that cycle, I had no desire to go back. Like the credit cards, I just have no desire to go back. Yeah. So as you said, you just kind of removed yourself from the cycle of renewing the loans. And then eventually, I assume you had to make like aggressive payments to pay them back. Or how did that work? No, I just made, no. Rate is amazing. They only know they collect all your debt and they say hey this is the minimum we could pay so it was like forty dollars it took me a year of a four four hundred dollars took me a year i will pay them back forty dollars a month yeah yeah just kind of reset it and the interest rate for my credit cards at once was like 27 percent it was then down to five they reduced i mean it was really manageable and so um i'm trying to say it was really manageable, even during COVID, even during when I had a lot of issues and financially, I didn't know where I was going to go. It was the one thing I could do consistently and it was like, wait, I know I have to pay this bill. And if I can always make the total payment, I can make something on it. Yeah. To know that it wasn't an all or nothing kind of scenario. Yeah. And multiple bills. It wasn't like, okay, I got to pay this, but I got to juggle. No. Is a one is a package deal, it's a bundle deal. I just pay my one, you know, bundle deal, and I'm done. Yeah. And mentally, you need that so you have. You're not fighting twelve buyers. You're only fighting four. Yeah, yeah, not having to juggle all those different bills. Um, so it seems like you've had uh, some ups and downs, but definitely some positives when it comes to managing your debt. Um, what are you uncertain now about uh, when it comes to your money? I don't want to say uncertain. I want to say I want to become better at managing and growing my money. Because uncertain money is just a tool. You know, it's a tangible tool that where you can buy services and goods. So I just want to be able to be able to manage it when life happens. Then I'm able to recover well and recover fast. To build up a little bit more of a cushion for the inevitable things that happen. Yes, because you can't control the economy. You can't control your job. You can't control any of that. But you can control how you handle it and what resources you have available to you at that time. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, what are, what are some of the financial goals that you do have in the coming months and year? Um, my goal is to, number one, get a place. But to at least have... I, an aggressive goal of having like 10,000 saved up because I don't want to keep going back and forth to being, being displaced because I lost that place or I lost my job. It can happen at any time to us. Yeah. Just because you lose your job doesn't mean you have to lose your livelihood. 
there's, you know, there's people who can get fired and they still can sustain themselves for five years. So I just want to be comfortable enough that I have enough resources reserved. So when life happens, I'm, a, I'm able to weather the storm and come out better than having it like throw me all over the place. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And just as you said, not just improving your current situation, but preventing future negative situations from occurring, hopefully. Yeah. Remember we talked about earlier when, you know, I lost my condo? I made enough that if I could have, in the five years, if I had brain tap earlier, I could have made enough to pay off my condo in that five years I was in the governor's office. Never lose it. Take a waitress job and finish school. Just because I lost my job doesn't mean I lost my security. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had those moments thinking back to those times as to how things could have played out. Yes. Because I found a waitress job. So, I mean, I was fine. So I still had income coming in. If this everything else was so out of control that it just spiraled down. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, What are some of your long-term dreams? My long-term dreams is to... One of the things I want to do is I would like to provide a... A steady stream of income so I can help women that have gone through something like in a women's shelter, help them become financially stable because the women in the women's shelter, they have amazing talents. I know you might say, what? Because the women there, they create like beautiful Afghans. I've seen women create beautiful jewelry because it helps them with the stress of being where they're at. And there's a couple ladies there, they're they don't have a lot of money, but they they with the yarn from the shelter, they um make afghans. I'm like, these blankets could go for two hundred dollars. And I said, I can sell them for you if you could give me the product. I mean, I if you have ever some of these women was one lady create how she designed a, a jewelry piece and easily could have went for fifteen hundred. I, I never seen anything so beautiful in a light. Yeah. But they, they know how to create, but they don't know how to create a stream of income. Yeah, because it sounds right. They have the creative part down, and obviously they're they're making beautiful things. But everything that I've heard from you is just the hustle that you have, and so I'm sure that would translate into being able to. And, and you believe in the things that they're making too. You know their backstory, which is a large part of it. It's not just the item, but just where it came from, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So create a stream of a platform for these women to like be financially stable to you know provide because everybody has their own story and there are various reasons why they're there. But they need money or resources to regain um housing and to restart their life again. And that's sustainable. And some yeah. of them are there. One of the young ladies I bought a beautiful Afghan from, she's 70. She doesn't have, and she has a lot of issue, health issues. All she can do is, like, make quilts. So if I can buy a platform where I can sell her product and I can buy it from her, that creates a straight income for her, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, right, uh, helping your financial sustainability, but just as importantly, um, providing for others in that same way using your talents. Right. Yeah. Um, so what what inspired you to share your story with others? 
I have never shied away from anything that's happened in my life. I grew up with a mom that was manic depressive, bipolar in Detroit. Um, I have seen my share of struggles, but for me, I had to make, I had to process the pain and I had to make sense of the pain. And the only way I'm going to make sense of the pain is like to tell somebody my story so they don't feel alone. Yeah. yeah. And when that person can see, how can I say this? When a person can see themselves in your struggle, they also can see themselves in your victories. But I was a little black girl from the inner city that was a waitress. I ended up working in politics because I wanted to be a cop. It didn't end up, and I ended up working for the governor. I don't have a college degree. Yeah. But one of the things I had to learn from working in the gov- working, being inner city and learn how to fight battles, you fight those battles in government. You get a window into what other people are experiencing, I'm sure, yeah. right? You have a window, but when you're in state government or any type of government, there is no plan because it's always ongoing. Like even COVID, nobody knew how to fight that battle. You're just thrown in and you have to like survive. Right. And I think my life has taught me that I have to learn to put out fires, but I have to do it in a way that it's the most economical, financially, emotionally beneficial to myself or whoever's around me. So it doesn't make sense. I'm going to put out a fire. But how can I do it the best way? Yeah. yeah. Instead of leaving a whole bunch of casualties. Yeah. Try to minimize the damage. Absolutely. Um, and, and in line with why you're sharing your story, I know that money is often a taboo subject in our culture. What are your thoughts on that? Um. Being that I grew up with a black mom that didn't know it, it's crazy. My mom is that man depressed bipolar. She knew, she, depending on her mood is how she would spend. So she spent on if she was happy, she will spend if she was sad. It would be, so we were homeless a lot. Not because our mother didn't make money, it was because it was attached to her emotional mental illness. And when I was younger, my mother, she said, I know I have a brother and sister that's younger than me. And my sister's prude when it comes to money. But I was older, so my mother had to teach me, like, if I go down, this is how you pay the bill. So by the time I was 12, I knew how to buy a car. By the time I was 14, I knew how to buy a house. When she would go down and our lights would get caught off, I would go to DTE and make arrangements. So I knew how, again, I knew at an early age how to navigate through the system and get the results done. I didn't know how to do it where I didn't have to always be fighting. And kind of forced to grow up very young yeah. going through that. Yeah. And and I just knew how it's like, okay, our life's gonna get cut off. I gotta figure out a way. You know, yeah. we'll be evicted. I gotta figure out a way of how we're gonna survive. We don't so it have sounds to- like like, why not talk about it in that sense? Because what choice do you have in, in some regards? You know, you were faced with what you were faced with. And I think a lot of people have this thing is like, I pay a bill or I pay whatever bill's pressing. And I'll worry about the little bills when they come, but those little bills come big bills instead of like, you need to have, that's why I like grief have. You need to have a system. Like, okay, I need to tackle all bills that all the time, but not go crazy or not like be so out of control where it puts me in a state of depression yeah yeah and learning like and i had to put myself on budgets now like okay 
how can I get the maximum maximizing my dollar? I gotta tell you, this is a crazy story. So I bought this coat. You didn't see me. I was wearing a long coat. And because I know I don't have a lot of money now, I have to really be mindful of how much I spend. The coat was originally $120. With all my discounts, I got it for a 68. Okay. Everybody said, okay, that's a good deal. But I went back a week later. They had it for 38. They gave me back a $50 discount from Myers. So I actually get the coat for $18. I still got my coat. But only spent $18. All right. Not bad. <laughs> so I have to learn how can I be smarter and maximize and stretch my dollar. Right. Because if you're going to get five hundred, I'm not going to spend five hundred dollars on one item. I'm going to spend you know maybe two on twelve items and save the rest. Yeah, just that intention that you're that you're having. Um. So you you spoke of you know your experiences growing up. What what advice would you have for your younger self? Know your world, but also know that wealth comes with a price. And it's not just knowing your source of who you are. It's about knowing that you work hard for your money, but you shouldn't have to work so hard with your money that you don't see it. You know, I, I could work 60 hours and still have no money. I could work three jobs, still have no money. And I was like, I might go to my employer and say, hey, I'm worth, you know, 50,000. But if I have a negative balance, am I really worth it? I, I hold other people accountable to a higher standard than I hold myself. So that's what I tell myself. Like, if you're going to hold somebody to that standard, you hold yourself to your standard. Hmm. And along the same lines, um, other than reaching out to organizations like GreenPath, what advice might you have for someone who's experiencing financial stress? Don't be afraid about it. Don't be afraid to say, this is where I am. And don't be afraid to seek out help. Be mindful of the people that you are seeking out. Be mindful that they have the ability and the tools to help you. You know, just to say you're in debt or say I'm broke to anybody, it's not going to benefit you. Saying it to the proper people will help you gain and grow in knowledge. Trust the process. It's almost like going to the gym. Nobody likes going to the gym. I don't know anybody, but you like the end results. So trust the process. If it looks ugly, it probably is ugly. But doesn't mean it's always going to stay ugly. It, and even like, oh, I screwed up or I messed up. It, 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 that's part of the process. You're going to mess up. You're like, okay, I did this. Don't be so hard. Me, I guess, like, how can I have lost my condo? How can I do this? Like, you lost it because you made some bad decisions. But doesn't mean that you can't buy another one. Yeah, what do you learn from those experiences, ultimately? I learned that I need to hold myself accountable. I learned that it is okay to be okay with not always being like, I need to have the best, you know, the newest and greatest. It's, it's okay. You know, it's my grandmother was so problem, you know, she was just like, I understood her because she grew up, you know, when you had the Great Depression and all those other things. I have, she was so mindful of the money she made and how much, it's like, by the time she passed away, 
her credit score was in 800s. And she always said, I, I have a fixed income and I can buy whatever I want when I want it. And she could. And she was 84. And on a fixed income. And there was never a time she needed anything that she could not buy. Yeah. And she did not have a lot of money. But she was mindful of the money she had and she was responsible for the bills that she paid. So, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm I'm so appreciative that you shared your story, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, could benefit from what they heard uh, from what you shared. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate talking to you. As always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Omari and Shamika, and we've just listened to Stephanie's story. And there's a few points that we wanted to to kind of lift up as points of inspiration and just um, points of reflection, uh, whether it's uh, other individuals that we've helped or even in our own lives. And I'll start with you, Omari. One of the things she mentioned is right before she first reached out to GreenPath, there was that initial skepticism uh, about Green Path. And I know that's something that you've thought a lot about in your work and wondering if you might uh, share a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Chris. Um, in our work at Green Path uh, around building community and building relationships with black and brown communities in, spe- in particular, specifically around the Detroit area, one of the things that we've noticed Um, and have had to navigate around uh, is this idea that these communities who've had reason to believe and experiences to support the idea that financial services systems don't always support them, sometimes have difficulty differentiating green path from those financial services systems. And that was definitely reflected in what uh, she was speaking about when it comes to being a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit curious about what Green Path was really about. So ultimately, like what she got there, right, where obviously we wouldn't have been speaking to her unless she had some trust in Green Path in the end. But um, is is it just as simple as hoping that people take a leap of faith and and kind of change their preconceptions? Or is there something that, that we can all do? Or even for really, I'm saying this for for those uh, listeners, many of whom have had interactions with Green Path, how might they help someone else in Stephanie's shoes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's only so much um, a another outside person can do. I think where the real change needs to happen is at a systemic level with with organizations like Green Path, where we are able to be present in communities and build relationships and engineer and design product services intentionally around the experiences of these community members so that we are showing up in an authentic way. I think that's going to be at the core of how we build trust and overcome some of that trepidation. Absolutely. Because as you said, it's it's not just coming from nowhere, right? This is actually, uh, there's a reason why the skepticism yes. in, that she expressed is out there. Um, turning to you, Shamika, um, I know that you were um, uh, observant of some of her uh, self-awareness and just focus on holding herself accountable, but it was sort of like an interesting uh, spin that she had taken. I was wondering if you could share more there. 
absolutely. So she definitely is very self-aware. She is aware of her situation as well as the financial mistakes that she made. Um, But she also mentioned that she needed to hold herself accountable, which she certainly has been doing by reaching out to Greenpath and getting the assistance she needs. Um, But she's also holding herself accountable without shame. Um, She doesn't speak about her situation in a negative way. She doesn't speak about herself in a negative way. She's very understanding of her situation and she has a plan to make it out on the other side. Yeah, it's just sort of the the non-judgment that she places for her own situation, which is no easy feat, to be totally honest. And it's something that I also noticed as she... um, was faced with some challenging situations in her life, um, specifically her recent eviction, and now she's living in a shelter. And it would be very easy for someone to have anger, blame, whether on the situation, on others, or directed towards oneself. And I was really struck by her growth mindset in those areas, uh, specifically when she took advantage of the fact that now that she's working with a shelter, that it's not just a place to live, but they have different programs and services that are available to her. And one of the things she's taken advantage of is she started to apply for subsidized housing, which as she detailed would hopefully result in when she does find permanent housing, have something that might only be a few hundred dollars a month, which not only is that gonna be more sustainable for her budget, but hopefully that'll free up additional money for her to then resume going to school, uh, complete the the degree that she was working towards, and hopefully um, even potentially improve her her income long-term. And so it's really cool to see just kind of the, the, the cycle of how taking this negative or potentially negative situation and having that growth mindset towards what opportunities might open up as a result of it. Now, uh, back to you, Amari. Um, I, I know that we, we were discussing a little bit that she had this great quote that said, you shouldn't work so hard that you can't see the money that you're making. And you had an immediate reaction. And in this case, this has to do with some of your, your personal journey. Yeah, um, I very much resonated with what she was saying there. Um, I, before working at Green Path, worked in a very different industry that was a similar financial industry, but just on the other side where uh, it was a high pressure, uh, commission-based, sales-oriented type environment uh, with high earning potential, but the work was time-consuming and uh, the grind was such that despite the high earning potential, I I eventually had to make a decision. Was this worth, um, was my quality of life worth the money that was on the table to be made? And ultimately that answer was no. Um, You know, she, she mentioned working so hard that you aren't able to actually see what you're, what you're making. Um, At at a certain point, you have to wonder like, what what is it all for if you're not really seeing the benefit um, and and furthermore, you can also extrapolate that a bit to maybe some some green path clients or listeners who might be high earners and on paper make a lot of money, but uh, additionally have a ton of debt as well and have high expenses. So you're making all this money and you have you know plenty of income coming in, but your your debts and sometimes this can't be helped. 
um, but your debts and your and your revolving expenses are such that on paper you're barely breaking even, right? Um, so we want to get to a place where not only do you feel debt free, you also feel like you're in a space where your expenses are not such that your hard work and your income that you're making aren't actually reaping any benefits for you, right? Being able to have some cash flow um, wiggle room is really what that's all about. That becoming debt free and having cash flow to me is what's at the foundation of financial wellness. Absolutely. And and as I reflect on all the stories that uh, all the, the amazing people we've spoken to on this podcast, many of whom talk to us after they've become debt free, that's definitely a common theme that we'll hear is just it's not just the money, but just all the things that it opens up uh, once they have that newfound flexibility in their budget. So thank you both, uh, as always, for all your thoughts today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, as always, for listening. Special thanks to Hero for our theme music, which will play us out. Here's hoping each of you enjoy your journey of financial wellness as much as your destination. Welcome back, Hero.